As a community, First Baptist Belton exists for the purpose of knowing Jesus intimately, serving Jesus passionately, and sharing Jesus globally. Come join us on Sundays at one of our worship services at 8.30 or 11, and for Bible study at 9.45. We hope today's message encourages and strengthens your faith in God. Open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Today, we are continuing our series on what in the world is happening here. And the here is not this building. It's not the church. It is our culture. What in the world is happening here? The world is changing very rapidly. Some change is awesome and wonderful. Some change is disconcerting to us who are believers. We laid the foundation in the very first message several weeks ago as we made the observation that Jesus and the gospel are offensive in our culture to many. Jesus and the gospel are offensive And without reviewing all of that, I would simply say Jesus' statement of, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, is an offensive statement to many in our culture today. We lovingly and graciously and kindly yet firmly stand upon the authority of the Word of God. We can do no other. We do not live on the basis of our feelings or the changing winds of culture. We stand upon the authority of the Word of God. We we must, we cannot do anything else but stand upon the authority of the Word of God. So with that foundational message, we have subsequently talked about the disappearance of the innocence, that is abortion, the right religion in our culture, to the least of these, modern-day slavery, trafficking, purity versus sexual immorality. And then last week we took an excursion, a little journey away from the series to spend a little bit talking about faithful God, faithful future, and our move to the hilltop. For those of you who have been with me for most of the 30-plus years that I have been here, uh, you know that I have never preached from a manuscript before until this series, but I'm doing it to have in front of me what I need to say so that I don't, well, I've termed it chase rabbits or go off in directions where I don't need to go. So... Today, we're going to think about celebrating marriage, celebrating marriage. Uh, Many of you are seated by your spouse today. Many of you wish you were seated by your spouse today, but he or she is with Jesus. And so physically, you can't be with him or her, but you are eagerly awaiting the day when you see him or her in the presence of Jesus. Today, as we think about celebrating marriage, we once again will look at several passages in the Bible and understand that as God's people, our belief about marriage is not shaped 
by the Gallup poll. It is not shaped by the political winds of our country, not shaped by any political party or any office holder. Our view of marriage is not shaped on what our neighbors may think or the majority of Americans may think, but our view of marriage is based upon what the Word of God says. And so we stand upon the Word of God. We know that our choice is either to stand or to crumble. And crumbling would be easier. It would be less of a problem if we just crumble, fold up our tents, get real quiet, and don't draw any attention to ourselves. That really isn't a choice. We must stand kindly, graciously, but firmly upon the Word of God. So this morning, before we read any scripture, I want us to think, and we've done this already a couple of times in other messages, let's think about the current status. Uh, As of now, a little over half, 52% of all Americans age 18 and over are married. Now, that has been a stable percentage for a decade. It is down a bit since 1990 when uh, 60% of Americans over the age of 18 were married. It's now 52%, but that has been relatively stable for the last decade. You have probably noticed this if you haven't read it, but Americans are staying single longer. The average age of A first marriage for men is now 30. And the average age for the first marriage for women is 28. Does that surprise you? It has been steadily rising. Uh, When Sharon and I married, we were both 26. And in that day, we were looked at as old. I mean, we had waited a long time to get married. We were 26 years of age, well above the average. Well, if we were 26 today and getting married today, we would be looked at as a young whippersnappers. Are you sure they know what they're doing? Getting married at 26. So the average age is moving upward. Cohabiting is on the rise. Sure, that doesn't surprise you. What may surprise you is that 65% of Americans believe it is a good idea to live with the man or the woman that you intend to marry, at least for a period of time, just to make sure it's going to work out. One of the astonishing things and positive things is that among evangelicals, only 6% believe that. Now, there are many statistics that you could throw around today where evangelicals are really not that much different from society at large, but on cohabiting, there's a big difference. Only 6% of evangelicals think it is okay. And, and, and 7% of those who are over the age of 18 are presently cohabiting. That's not a big percentage, but it is impactful, 7%. But many more approve of it, so you can kind of see where the trend may be leading. When uh, many young couples have been interviewed and asked, why aren't you cohabiting? Why aren't you, since so many are, why aren't you? And the number one answer is, it's morally wrong. That's encouraging. Answer number two is, my parents would kill me. (laughs) 
That's okay. That's acceptable. <laughs> well, no, the murder's not acceptable, but the thought, the thought's acceptable. Divorce. 25% of all adults have been divorced at least once. Uh, here, here is perhaps the surprise. Practicing Christianity makes no difference in that percentage. 25% of American adults have been divorced. 25% of practicing Christians have been divorced. 25% of evangelicals have been divorced. This is a bit of a concerning statistic that apparently there's not any difference between Bible-believing Christians and, and the society at large. Same-sex marriage. Uh, I want to say that that is a misnomer or an oxymoron. Probably a misnomer is, is the better term for it. Same-sex marriage. The Supreme Court of the United States does not define marriage. God does. And so when the Supreme Court uses the term same-sex marriage, we understand what they mean, but they are not talking about marriage in the biblical sense of the word. Now, in the Scripture, it is clear that marriage is defined as one man, one woman. Our society is changing. You know that. In 2007, 12 years ago, 54% of all Americans were opposed to same-sex marriage. Now 62% favor it. That's a dramatic shift. I wondered in my heart if that is based on real conviction, that it's okay, or if it's based on the fact that people are afraid to say what's really on their heart for fear of being branded as a bigot or a homophobe. I think that may account for some of it. Now, listen to this shift according to the Gallup poll. 2017, two years ago, 10% of LGBT Americans were married to a same-sex spouse. Now, two years later, 61% are married to same-sex spouse. That is a dramatic increase. Now that it is legal in our country, it is a dramatic increase. Uh, gay homosexual people make up about 3 or to 4% of the population of the United States. Not 10%. It has never been that. It has never been even close to that. But it is about 3 to 4%. Revisiting divorce for a moment, the early years of a marriage are crucial. Uh, The average length of years that a couple stays married before they're divorced is eight. The probability of divorce in the first five years of marriage is 20%. In the first 10 years of marriage, it's 33%. The average age of couples being divorced is 30. Three out of four divorced individuals will remarry. Six percent of them will remarry the person they they just got a divorce from. And I... I find that hopefully encouraging. The lowest, uh, there's a list of the lowest divorce rates in states in in America, and Texas is number four. Good for Texas. One of the lowest in the union. Now, I wonder what state is the highest. Now, somebody's going to say Nevada. Somebody's going to say New York. Somebody's going to say California. You're going to be surprised when I give you the answer, Arkansas. 
Go figure, our neighbor to the northeast, we're number four on the good side. They are number one on the other side. Amazing. Well, with all those statistics floating through our minds, I want to read some scripture. And you're looking at Mark, and then you can either keep up with me or jot down the passages or just listen. But in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 6, Jesus says, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh so they no longer two but one flesh. Now, let the implication of that sink in. When you are married, that man, that woman is now viewed by God as one flesh with you. So that everything you do, you are bringing her along with you. Or you are bringing him along with you. You are one flesh in the eyes of God. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate, Jesus said. Now, if you want to jot these down, Genesis chapter 1. This will sound familiar. We were there on the purity, sexual immorality passage two or three weeks ago. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Be fruitful and increase in number requires a male-female relationship. Now go to chapter 2, verse 23. Adam sees Eve for the first time, and here's what he says. You remember we read this a few weeks ago. If you wanted to give a modern-day translation of this, it would be Adam sees Eve and says, wow. Okay? Now, here's the Hebrew. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, Ephesians chapter 5. You can jot this down. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. The husband-wife responsibility parent child responsibility passage very important to us wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife as christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior now as the church is submits to christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without any stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, and and on it goes. One of the most significant passages of Scripture about how we are to behave or lead or follow or respond in marriage. Now, 
in a minute we're going to talk about that passage of scripture not in great depth i preached on that passage many times but this morning there's something that i want us to see there that i hope you've already seen this will just be a reminder but it is absolutely the glory of marriage so i want you to see it in a moment now in matthew the next passage is matthew 19 verse 4 matthew 19 verse 4 Jesus said, have you not read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And finally, at least for the moment, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with verse 9, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were to the church. That's what some of you were but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, when he's talking here about wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God, if you've ever been sexually immoral in your life and you just read that and your heart skipped a beat because you're thinking, does that mean I can't inherit eternal absolutely not you've been cleaned washed by the blood of jesus what he's saying to the church in corinth but he is talking about those who settle into a habitual lifestyle a christless lifestyle and and continue in that he is saying for them they will not inherit the kingdom of god now the last part of that chapter flee from sexual immorality All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. There is a reminder. There are all kinds of sins, sins of thought, sins of expression. But he is saying when we sin with our bodies sexually, that is extraordinarily, it's extraordinarily serious because remember we are one flesh with our spouse, with our husband or with our wife. It is as if we are involving them in any sexual sin. And on top of that, because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we are involving the very Holy Spirit of God in, in sin. So it's serious and we want, we understand that. Now, with all these verses in mind, remember this, for millennia, for millennia, marriage has been defined as one man and one woman, freely united together in marriage for life, God's ideal for life, one flesh in God's eyes. The Bible honors marriage. Jesus honored marriage. We, the church, honor marriage. Now, the third thing that I want us to think about this morning is the picture that is presented in these texts, particularly in the Ephesians chapter 5 text. And this is just cool. I mean, there's just no way around it. This is just, this is cool. This is awesome. Whatever the latest expressions are, this, this is it. 
Now, what is the picture in Ephesians 5? It is the picture of Christ and the church. And Christ is the bridegroom, the husband. The church is the bride, the wife. Christ is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And that is an eternal relationship. And what a protection, what a joy to know that that is an eternal relationship. And and listen, what's the beauty of this? The beauty is God is comparing the husband-wife relationship to the relationship that we as believers, we as the church have with the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That is a, that is stunning and beautiful. Now, now listen to Revelation 19. Here is what John wrote in Revelation chapter 19, uh, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. Now, here's the the sweet, gracious part. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and for His bride has, and His bride has made herself ready. Who's that? That's us. The bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. The awesome, the awesomeness of marriage is that it is a beautiful picture of the relationship of God to His church. That, that, that causes us, that ought to cause us to have little goosebumps on our arms to think this morning that our relationship with the, 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 our husbands and our wives is like the relationship of, of Christ and His church. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. I know most men that I know, every man that I know would die for his wife. He'd take a bullet for his wife if he had to. I think most of us probably won't have to do that. I hope. But the larger question is, will, will you live for her joy? Will you live for her pleasure? We are to love our wives and wives are, according to scripture, to respect their husbands. We have a loving, tender relationship as Christ has a loving, tender relationship with us as the church. And, and Ephesians 5 and, and elsewhere gives us specific guidance for the husband, for the wife, for parents, and for children. So the beauty of the spiritual relationship and the beauty of the physical relationship are highlighted in, in Scripture, remembering that, as we said two weeks ago, as we talked about purity and sexual immorality, sex is an incredible gift of God designed for a husband and a wife in marriage, and it is a celebration of that marriage. The joy of marriage. Sharon and I have been married 44 years. And I didn't even have to do the math. I got it. 44 years. I love her more today than I, than I did the day we got married. Our love has grown and it's matured. And so I love her more now than I ever did. She's my best friend. I know some people say your spouse is not supposed to be your best friend. Well, I have a lot of friends, but she's my best friend. And 
we would both tell you, as you already know, marriage is work. And marriage is not always easy. But it is worth every step of the journey. Now, let me go to the fourth thing, and that's the position of the church. Hear hear this well, the position of the church. Until the last few years, universally, the church has honored the marriage and defined it as a union of one man and one woman. In the history of the church, there's never been a time when the true church has celebrated adultery or celebrated cohabitation. And the church has never celebrated same-sex marriage or relationships. Now, after 2,000 years, some have decided that the church is wrong and the Bible is outdated. And there has been a conscious attempt to devalue traditional marriage. And it has been expanded in definition to a man to a man or a woman to a woman. So as you take all that the Scripture says... And you take Ephesians 5 and the picture of Christ's relationship to his bride, the church. What does so-called same-sex marriage do to the picture of Christ and his bride, the church? It utterly destroys it. It is destroyed by such non-theology. So we joyfully stand on the Bible and we celebrate marriage. Now... I want everyone to understand this is not a hateful diatribe against homosexuals or gay people. Not that at all. We are to love them and minister to them and and witness to them. We're not to discriminate against them. But when it comes to approval of a lifestyle, we are to stick to the Bible. We stick to the Bible, not our feelings, and we must be consistent. Which also reminds me that if same sex is sin, so is adultery and so is cohabiting. So we can't spend all our time looking at one group and yelling at them. We shouldn't be yelling at anybody. And meanwhile, turning a a blind eye to other sin. Now, number five, I want to talk about the non-biblical view. And then we're going to wrap it up by talking about what course of action should we take. Here's the non-biblical view. First of all, non-biblical view is that there is no problem with cohabiting and having sex before marriage. I would refer you to all the passages of Scripture that I've already read, plus the ones that I read two weeks ago, plus 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8, which says, in part, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body, in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And then in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, the scripture says, Jesus, uh, oops, chapter verse 4, I'm sorry. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now, having said that, may I lace through all of this grace and forgiveness. There's grace, forgiveness, and a beginning again with any sin that any of us do, whether it has to do with 
marriage relationship, sex outside of marriage, or a lying tongue, or a gossipy mouth, whatever it may be, there is grace and forgiveness available to all of us. But since today we're talking about marriage, we are focused on these issues. Secondly, a non-biblical view is that same-sex marriage is not only okay, but you had better not say anything negative about it if you are concerned about your reputation, your business relationships, or school peer pressure. I refer you back to the Bible and remind you that we do not stand on the basis of what our peers say, society says, politicians say, or anyone else. We stand upon the authority of the Word of God. Here's another non-biblical view in regard to divorce. It is true that there are biblical justifications for divorce. And they are an unfaithful spouse spousal abuse and abandonment but some of the things that we see today where a couple just says you know we just don't like each other anymore Um, i'm sorry about that i would encourage you to start over again and see if you can get some help and, and get that taken care but that's not a biblically justifiable reason for divorce remember from the very beginning our basis for belief is on the word of God and that alone. Now, let's talk about a course of action because we need to finish. So here are 12 things. And, and don't say, oh, no, we'll be here another three hours. No, here we go. Here they are. Number one is our course of action. Guard your own marriage. Do not take your spouse for granted. Now, I don't know if I'm even going to say that part in the second service where everybody's young. But those of us with no hair, gray hair, we need to remember that. We've been married a long time. Don't take your spouse for granted just because you've been married a long time. Treasure her, treasure him as if you just got married yesterday. Guard your own marriage. Guard your behavior, your eyes, your thoughts, your practices. Do everything you can to guard your own marriage. Number two, if you are single... Wait for God's choice and keep yourself pure. Wait for God's choice and keep yourself pure. You'll be glad you did. I've never in all my years of ministry had any person come up to me and say, I sure am sorry that my wife and I didn't have sex before marriage. Never been said. I've had many say, we're glad we waited. Number three, Pray for the marriages of our church because we are only as strong as our homes. Number four, our witness is one of joy and celebration. When we talk about marriage, it's not a joke. It is a witness of joy and celebration before those around us. Number five, celebrate those who are getting married. Rejoice with them. Premarital counseling is required for anyone to have a wedding in this church or a wedding performed by one of our ministers. Premarital counseling is required. And it is a joyful, celebratory experience. And we celebrate those who are getting married. Number six, the church must and does address marriage in disciple life, in Sunday school, and 
sermonically and other venues, it is important that we address marriage. Number seven, older couples reach out to younger couples, befriend them, encourage them. Don't have as your sole exclusive friendships people who are your age, but reach out to younger couples. And most of the time we have, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the we, older couple, we have to reach out and take the initiative because they are sort of looking at us in a respectful manner, but like, I don't know if I should speak to that person or not. So you reach out to them. Take the initiative. Number eight, nationally vote for those who uphold biblical marriage. Number nine, remember the picture that we celebrate. Get it in our minds, Christ in the church, Christ in the church, Christ in the church. Keep that in your mind. That is what we're celebrating. Number 10, if you are struggling in your marriage, don't struggle alone. Reach out to one of the pastors of the church. Reach out to one of the elders or a deacon or a trusted couple whose marriage is strong or a Christian counselor. Reach out. Don't try to struggle through it alone. You'll need help. Number 11, practice the biblical roles at home as defined by Ephesians chapter 5. And number 12, model the joy of marriage before your children and grandchildren. That's where they get their view of marriage. And where else are they going to get it? They're going to get it from you. So model the joy of marriage before your children and before your grandchildren so that they will have the right and proper view of God's intention for us. Let's bow our heads together. In a moment, Brother Gary will lead us in the singing of a hymn of invitation. We've talked about marriage today and a lot of issues in our society. But we go back to the most important thing. And that is every person in this room needs Jesus. If you've not yet trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and wooing and tugging at your heart this morning. And so in a moment when we stand and we begin to sing, will you leave your seat, come and place your hand in mine and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. Remember, our staff will be here to pray with you, open God's word and to share with you. All the rest of us, if you're married... What is the current state of your marriage? Is there action that you need to take to strengthen and encourage your marriage, to strengthen and encourage your spouse to say to her or to him, I love you with all my heart? And then to do all that we can in our culture to uphold the beauty and the joy of biblical marriage. So, Father, help us. Help our homes draw someone to yourself this morning. In the Savior's name I pray, amen. God speaks to your heart. You come as we stand and sing.
would like more information, visit our church website at www.fbcbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street in Belton, Texas. We hope to see you soon.